Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today I've got Mr. Justin Herman from Controlled Chaos Ministries. That's quite a unique name. Justin, welcome to Unresolved Life. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is going to be great. Looking forward to it. Can you kind of tell us who you are and where you're at now and what your ministry does? And then we'll kind of go back into more your past and kind of how you got into this. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Dustin. Uh, I live in California, my wife and kids. And we worked at a couple different, I worked at a couple different churches in California, went to college in Missouri, and then started working in California. Uh, worked at some large churches and worked at some small churches. A couple years ago, started the Controlled Chaos podcast, which is a junior high ministry podcast for youth workers. But we do a whole bunch of other stuff. We touch on a whole different, uh, a whole bunch of different topics too: leadership stuff and high school ministry and student ministries, and just we talk about a whole different you know gamut of things. And we've been doing that for about a year and a half, and it's been a blast. Really enjoy doing it. And we've done some webinars. It all started because, well, the podcast started because my wife suggested I do it. My mentor, Kurt Johnston, wrote a book called Controlled Chaos, and that's where the title Controlled Chaos comes from. It comes from his book, and we just use that for the podcast as well, and all the other leadership training stuff that we do now, um, we use that, uh, the Controlled Chaos name for it. Did you always grow up as a Christian, or was it something that you came to later? No, I actually grew up Jewish. Uh, I grew up Jewish my entire life. I was born Jewish. And grew up Jewish until I was probably about seven, eight years old. And then when my parents got divorced, we could no longer afford the dues at the local synagogue. Um, so we stopped going to temple altogether. And a fr- uh, my mom was part of a women's group. And one of her friends, Nancy, who's, who's still a friend of mine, and they invited her to come to church for the very first time, which meant I was going to church for the very first time because I didn't have a say in any of this because I was a child, but I saw I went to church for the first time, made a ton of sense to me, and ended up saying yes to Jesus there, and, uh, and I've been doing church ever since, took a little break when I was in high school, but stayed consistent, and then went to Bible college, and, uh, you know, and then I worked at churches and did the whole deal. With you focusing on the youth, would you agree with me that the youth of today are the most underserved? Or at, at the very least, we are not making as much of a connection. No, I would disagree. I think that the church are the most served people group in the country. The problem is that the church is not the one serving them best. Culture is doing a really good job of serving them. Pop culture is, movies are, pornography is. There's a lot of things that are doing really, really good. They invest tens of millions of dollars to understand the mind of a young person. So they're getting served really well. They're just not getting served by the church that well. Okay, so why do you think it is? I mean, because I think you're right. I mean, you've got small devices. You've got, uh, why do you think that is? Their goal is to make money. They're going to find where what makes the most money, and they're going to put their chips in on that. So if they're doing their business and they figure out, you know you know who has a ton of money? Um, you know, millennials or Generation Z, and it's their parents' money. Um, and it's easy to separate it from them. And so, you know, there's a huge business model um, around gaming. Um, and I remember when in-app purchases started, 
you know, the vast majority of kids, their cell phones, uh, their cell phone uh, credit line is not their credit line. It's their parents' credit line or debit account, whatever. So when a kid buys, it's not the kids spending their money. It's spending the parents' money. If you know that you can make $100 million of not their money, but money that they'll spend, and you can easily market that, well, why wouldn't you do that? Like, you'd be a terrible business person not to do that. Now, so again, the goal of business is to make money. Now, the goal of the church is not to make money, but because the goal of the church is not to make money, they're not going to put all their chips where it's most effective. There's a lot of different voices in the church. There's tradition in the church. There's liturgy in the church. There's uh, statements like, this is the way we've always done it. You know who never makes that statement? CEOs in a boardroom never say, well, this is the way we've always done it. And if they do, then they're probably going to either go out of business, sell their company, or they're going to be fired because the board of directors isn't going to settle for that because everybody in business knows you don't rely on what you did yesterday. Like you would need to innovate for the future. The church loves to say, well, this is how we've always done it. This is what's always worked. And maybe it did work for a long period of time, but it doesn't work anymore. The, the students are different now. The culture is different now, but we want to use the same strategies. You know, it's so hard in the church because it actually means people are changing things about how they do what they do. And old people don't like to change what they do. And I'm friends with a lot of old people who love to change what they do. But overall, old people don't like to change what they do. And since the older people are the ones giving money to the church, not young people, they're more apt to listen to the older person who is giving, supporting financially the church, than they are a young person. And it is to their detriment. They will regret it eventually because those old people will die and probably won't leave all that money to the church. And more importantly, those young people will stop coming. Um, and that's going to be a big problem. That's going to be a big problem for the church as it starts to slowly die. Um, so those are all real things that we need to pay attention to. As you're talking, there are literally so many rabbit trails and so many um, directions that we could take this conversation. Uh, one, to, one of the things that strikes out to me is the fact that how many churches are dying simply because of that. You've got this older generation of, we don't want to adapt. We want things like they were back in yesteryear. On top of that, you've got a youth that is, because one of the biggest things that I'm seeing is these companies are literally creating these 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 addictive situations where well i have to go in and play my game i have to go do this because if i don't and they got to get that dopamine hit it's almost like the church is blind to what's really going on it's tough because churches are closing their doors more than ever before i think every month there's like a dozen churches that close their doors just because they just can't sustain it anymore so that's a problem i think there's a lot of churches that want to figure it out and are fighting hard to figure it out but we just don't have the resources to compete. And actually, I don't think we should compete. But the thing that, that is most effective that the church has is relationship. But we're still really terrible at packaging relationship. And, and, I, and packaging relationship is step one. But selling, and I'm going to use the word selling, selling people on that vision of, of relationship in the next generation for the next generation um, to, the, to the older generation because it's not going to happen unless the older generation says, well, I want to be a part of that. I'm going to be a small group leader. I'm going to know the kid's name. I'm going to know what's going on in their life. Like They're going to be able to call me if something's happening. Um, if we don't have that, then we're definitely not going to make it. But getting people to get on board with, well, I don't need you to, sign, to write a check. 
I actually need you to give an hour or two or three of your time every week, which is the hardest thing to do. get people to give their time. It's extremely hard. But that's the most important part. That That's the area where nobody can compete with the church. We do relationship like nobody else. That's why it was the first thing that Jesus did. He, got, he started his earthly ministry, got 12 guys together, and was like, hey, let's do this together. Like he understood relationship as a catalyst for change, but it takes a lot. Like they had to drop their nets, leave their families to, and go follow him. That's a real tall order that a lot of people don't want to pay the bill on. That's what's adding to the decay of healthy youth ministry in America. That's a big problem. Within the context of the ministry, the Bible says that we should be ready in season and out of season to give an answer for the hope that we have. And a lot of that, you know, in, in, in the business world, they call that selling. They call that relationship selling, you know. But you actually have to build a relationship with the person that you're trying to reach. There was an individual that needed that needed help. And when, when I reached out to the church, to a particular church, the answer that I got was, I don't have the time to pray with him. Yeah, that's a, that's a big problem. We know what the problems are, but how do we fix it? Well, I think there's a lot of people who have really great ideas on how to fix it. And there's a lot of churches that are doing it. You know, there's a lot of churches that are taking action, doing what they can to try and reach the next generation, um, make sure they don't leave the church. Tara Powell just came out with a new book called uh, Growing Young. So there's two books, Growing Young and Growing With. Growing Young is the church strategy. Growing With is the parent strategy. So I, I would give Growing With to a parent. I would give Growing Young to you know an executive pastor. So there's a lot of great stuff out there. There's a lot of people trying to make it happen. But in the end, it comes down to um, the leadership of these churches. Vision leaks from the top. You know, change you know, happens from the top. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, no, it's a groundswell. Like, you know, you, you lead up and whatever. It's like, yeah, but anyone who's ever really been in leadership knows that you can have all the people in the world telling you you should go right. If you as a leader sense that you should go left, then, then you and the organization are going left. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. It doesn't matter the data they're looking at. So it's a leadership thing. If we don't have the leaders at the top on board, that we need to make changes and we need to be aggressive about it then we're going to fail big time. And that's what we see a lot of. You know, I think we're, we're spending too much, youth pastors are spending too much time talking amongst themselves when the conversation only needs to exist with the senior pastor, those in senior executive leadership, in order to make these church changes, which they are massive changes, massive edits. They're strategic changes. Um, they're financial changes, You know where we're putting our money and how we're investing it for the next generation. It's a big change. Too many youth pastors are spending too much time talking about it amongst themselves when they need to be talking about it with them. Very interesting. How do we, let me ask it this way. How do we, because I mean, it's one thing to have a youth pastor and have a quality program, but the other issue I think comes into how does someone engage the uh, next generation for the kingdom, for Christ, bringing them to the gospel, and in a way that they will actually listen and hear what you have to say and not write you off. Students today want to talk about LGBT. They want to talk about their gay friends. They want to talk about self-harm. They want to talk about depression, suicide. And they don't want it. They want to talk about sex. Um, they want to talk about pornography. They want to talk about what's wrong with having sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend if you're in love with them. They want to have real conversations. And the church really sucks at that. 
I w- I could not help but agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard <laughs> to quantify how, how much the church sucks at it. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of churches that are really good at it. So there's a lot of churches that totally rock at it. They're doing great. There's a lot of churches who aren't. They do not want to touch those topics. A lot of churches, you know, especially with older deacons, elders, you know, even staff, they don't know what they would do if a transgender kid came to their youth ministry. Now, the youth pastor might know. Like, they have a feeling of what to do, like what we should be doing. Most of the staff, most of the elders, they have no idea. That just wasn't their generation. It wasn't their generation to have two boys kissing, like openly. And like, it was just what it was just out there for everyone to see. Like, a lot of the things that our culture is putting in front of students that they're embracing, the church has really bad answers to them. Not every church, but some churches. And it's one of those things you have to have a plan for it before you get there. So, and again, churches are not having those discussions. It's always after the fact. Um, it's never um, beforehand. What's that called? It's, it's retroactive versus proactive. Never proactive conversations, always retroactive. I mean, okay, well, what do we do now? Because this happened. We don't have a solid plan to be able to engage these real conversations. So then we're stuck using the same old curriculum, the same old talking points and same old stories, you know, and it, it bores kids. They're not showing up for it. Like they want the real, they want the authentic. They get that with video games. They can hop onto Twitch and see the person that's gaming and interact with them. Like they get the real and then they walk into church and it's like they're walking into make-believe land. Hey guys, let's talk about how to, how to earn our parents' trust again. All right. I, earning our parents' trust is really good, but my friend is gay and they, they don't think they're welcome here at church. Can we talk about that? Uh, uh, well, let's talk about how Jesus died for our sins, which, by the way, is completely true. Died for yours, died for mine, died for the gay kids, died for sins. I'm, I'm pro all of that. But we forget that they got that story. They get it. Okay, Jesus died for our sins. We got it. Well, what about this? What about, and we, we have no answers for the next, the next thing. We just, we just think that they're going to believe it because they do. And here's the biggest flaw. I, I truly believe this is the biggest flaw in everything. A lot of people look at old data of when people would leave the church and they would come back to the church. That was the, 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 we live in a post-Christian generation. So the Christian generation was out of church, I'm in youth group. I leave the church maybe, you know, last last year of high school or during college, young adult years. But then when I started having a family, I come back into the church. And a lot of people looked at that old data and say, oh, that's totally, that's what's going to happen. Well, here's the thing. I don't think that's going to happen. I think data is proving that out now. But yet we use that data um, or those data trends from 25, 30 years ago to determine our current strategy, which is what's going to lead us to the biggest failure of all. I mean, it's the biggest house of cards in Christian youth ministry, young adult strategy um, is the belief that, oh, they'll just come back because that's what happened before. And that's just not realistic. That's why Unresolved exists. You know, Unresolved exists to cover those topics. What about self-harm? What about suicide? What about transgenderism? What about the subjects that the church just doesn't want to touch or doesn't know how to? I think it's sad that, that we've had to come and deal with those subjects because the church hasn't done its job. And I'm not, understand, I'm not trying to beat up on the church, and I know you're not. But I think if we don't have an answer, you know, Jesus died for us and Yes, that's true. I believe that to the core of my being. But so what? What does that have to do in a young person's life? What does that mean? I mean, is that kind of, would you agree with that? You know, uh, the thing is that I, I mean, I completely believe that Jesus died for our sins. and That's the most important thing. And that's the message 
know, the message of the gospel is what every student needs to hear. The thing is that Jesus, he was willing to speak about the most controversial subjects of his day. So when you look in the New Testament, Old Testament, the things they're dealing with, that's the cutting edge stuff of their time. But we're not doing the same. Like we're not, we don't have the same fearlessness to engage in the the hottest topics of our day. You know, if, if he would have stayed away from, like, let's just use the coin one, you know, where the Pharisee held up the coin with Caesar's face and said, Get, you know, what would you, you know, should you pay taxes to Caesar? Like, what, what should you do, Jesus? And Jesus says, listen, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God's what's God's. Now, that was mind-blowing at the time. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, I just can't believe this. But he spoke to the things that people really wondered about and had questions about. And he spoke directly to it. And we're not doing the same thing. We're, we're avoiding the topics that, that, ha- that have the most attention. And that is our biggest problem. And so, yeah, do I think people step, stand in the gap for that? You know, I want to say, yeah, that's where parachurch ministries totally stand in the gap. But, like, I haven't found that to be completely true. Like, I know there's a lot of parachurch ministries that try and do stuff. And, you know, the, the FCA, Young Life, you know, other ministries, whatever. But that wasn't the hope of the world. The church was the hope. Like, it was, that was a game. The game plan was the church. There was no backup plan. We've created our own plan B's because the church can't stay relevant. In some ways, I would argue that there isn't a need to have parachurch organizations at all. We should shut them all down. All of that should be run through the church. It should be run through the church, funded through the church. Anytime I see a parachurch organization, it means that the church in that community, that area, or you know, whatever, even if it's nationally, they just aren't doing their job. And that sounds harsh to say, but I don't see a lot of parachurch organizations in the Bible. Um, I see a lot of churches. I'm going to use the book of Acts as my example. They had a problem feeding the widows. And of that local community, that local congregation, they said, hey, listen, you need to meet these needs. Pick lots between you. You know, we, you know, we can't be waiting tables. And we can't worry about the widows. Not We don't care about the widows. We can't take a break from the gospel in order to wait tables. So select from among you a leader, leaders to handle all this. And what do they do? They selected a bunch of a couple of people and like they made it happen. Well, that's awesome. That's called the church doing its job. And we got away from that because we got too comfortable and we don't want to push the envelope and we don't want to go. And, you know, government plays a role in that, you know, nixing Bible clubs and whatnot. But it's like still, you know, we, we figure if we've endured th- this many thousands of years, like we can figure it out. But a lot of people don't want to figure it out. Like they'd rather just, you know, let it be someone else's problem. And, oh, we blessed that ministry. And it's like, well, the plan wasn't for those kind of ministries. The plan was for the church. And church has to be more being the church. I've seen a lot of situations where and I'm, I'm my mind is like going in two different directions at the same time, if that makes sense. Because I've actually seen both the failure of the church and then where parachurch ministries have had to step in so i totally get what you're saying and uh i was actually watching a training the other night and it was talking about how do you know if your town or community is uh being oppressed by the enemy and one of the things that the that the that the teacher brought up is that is the church in your town you've got lots of churches however they are highly ineffective i truly believe that that is true I think that that's a huge aspect of why we're not being effective. Yeah, and then there's a bunch of other stuff too. You got pastors flying around in 
multi-million dollar private jets and stuff. And you know, the person who isn't Christian is looking at that like that seems insane. Like that's the that's the every negative thing they've heard about the church. And but even people who are Christians who are like, yeah, I want to spread the gospel, but like that just seems kind of weird. I don't know. It doesn't feel like every you know, it doesn't seem like these guys need multi-million. And now listen, I'm not one to judge. It's you know, it's whatever. That's not it's not my ministry, not my life. But it's like wow, like I feel like we're missing something here. I, I feel like a lot of people look at that and think it's weird, think it's odd, that it causes more problems than it solves. And I think it's something we gotta figure out. I agree. Well, I mean, obviously there's a lot more that we could probably touch into. Um and Justin, can you tell us a little bit more about your podcast, what you do, what you cover, that kind of thing? Uh, it's called the Control Cast Podcast. We do episodes every week, every Wednesday. And we talked to, when it first started, it was kind of really just hyper-focused junior high ministry. Since then, um, it's kind of branched out a little bit. You know, we It's still a junior high ministry podcast, but you know, we have really killer guests on. You know, we've had T.D. Jakes on, Andy Stanley, um, Patrick Lencioni. You know, so we've been really fortunate to have really smart people who add leadership insights, um, youth ministry, you know, really overall leadership insights. You can use in youth ministry, use anywhere else. But we, we really always kind of hone it into the junior high space. Uh, I did junior high ministry for years. I love junior high ministry. I think it's maybe one of the most underserved ministries in, in not every church, but in, in a lot of churches. You know, we started to do something specific for junior high. It's gone really well. We're going to keep doing it, obviously. It's been a blast. But uh, that's kind of the story with that. Have you had a uh, situation where you don't necessarily agree with the guests when they come on your show? I mean, and how do you handle that when that when that actually happens? Yeah, I, I've had people. I had some people on that I that I disagree with. I think it's good to have people on you disagree with. You know, I'm you know me. I'm politically conservative. We've, I think politics is a huge thing right now. I think how it is going to have an impact into our students in this generation. I think is. Um, I think it's it. We're. I think we're not paying attention to what to me is a big neon sign. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but when I was a kid, we used to watch the state of the union. It was a homework assignment and we used to watch and, you know, watch and talk about it in school. They don't do that anymore. Like they don't, they don't like the current president. There's a big problem with that. Um, you know, I think it's something we need to pay attention to. So that's just a side thing. So like I've had some political people on some, I don't totally agree with at all. Some I agree with a little bit, but like they're more extreme than I am. Yeah, I've had people, I've had some really liberal people on that I completely disagree with, but that have a perspective that I think needs to be heard. You know, we need to talk more about LGBT stuff. Um, I've had people on the podcast that, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with gay marriage, that, that gay marriage is totally cool, and, and that we're just being too, you know, old school in our thinking, and, and we need to be more progressive and whatever. And it's like, I mean, I, monstra- I demonstrably disagree with that. I don't, I don't see that in scripture. I see the opposite. But it's a good thing when you hear, if you're always kind of living in this vacuum, um, then you're missing something. Uh, it's good to hear from other perspectives, even ones you disagree with. So um, I, that's my perspective. I guess if I didn't have that perspective, it would be really difficult to have on people I disagreed with. But I, I think it's important for people to hear from different points of view. It makes us better leaders because of it. You know, it's that we're not a monolith in society. Um, I think if you're part of one, you should get out of it. Um, you need to surround yourself with people who, think differently, believe differently than you do. And that it's going to make you stronger, not only what you believe and why you believe it, um, but it's going to make you stronger in how you articulate it, um, how you share it with people. Um, and when you should share it, and it's going to grow in empathy. I, you know, I think the best thing we can do to grow empathy 
is to be around people we disagree with. I have a really good friend of mine. He runs the uh, Christian Podcasters Association. He runs the Halfway There podcast. I think you two would connect really well. So I, I will. Uh, I'll address with that uh, with you more off air. But hey, Justin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and and talking about this. I think what you're bringing up is a subject that, um, man, we need to find a way to reach our youth and deal and get into their world. If they're dealing with stuff like LGBT suicide. Uh, self harm and God knows what else. We've got to get in that. We got to get. We got to get down and dirty and get into those topics. If we don't, we're going to lose them. I agree. Thanks so much for having me. As you know, I deal with the subject that the church, the church doesn't want to touch. You know, do I agree with everything? Sometimes the guest says no, but you know what? I believe that, that again. I believe this has to be dealt with. This has to be touched. Else, why are we doing what we're doing? So with that, I'm Teresa Blaze. This has been the Unresolved Life Podcast. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.